Hello and welcome to Too Fit to Be Tied. Where we talk about health from a variety of perspectives. Emotional health. Mental health. Physical health. And spiritual health. My name is Jerome. And I'm your co-host, Constance. So another episode of Too Fit to be Tied. What are we talking about today? Today, we're actually going to be talking to an author. Her name is Allison Jane, and she wrote the book Find Love Again, which, in fact, I got as a Christmas gift from my sister uh, okay. this past Christmas, and I opened it next to my boyfriend, and I was like, this is awkward. Uh-oh. And uh, everybody was, just kind of sat there staring, like, what's going on? Was there on? some sort of message in there? What? what well, uh, I ended up finding out she bought this book for a lot of people, so I was like, oh, oh okay. And... Um, to be honest with you, I read the entire book in one sitting, and it was it was an awesome book. It was great. So she gave you the book just so just to reinforce all the stuff that you had done to find love again, right? Just, the, just to reinforce that you had done it properly. You're right. You're right. Okay. You're right. I I'm good at spinning things. You are. I, <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Yeah. Well, I my point is, I think she just gave everyone this book, and I was just one of those included. You know. Got it. Okay. Um, but yeah, I thought this was a really great book. I know you read lots of excerpts of it. I mean, I it's did, geared yeah. toward women. Mm-hmm. Uh, learn, it says, learn to date like a goddess. Yeah. And I kind of wish I read this book long ago, like maybe when I was a teenager, because I, I did a lot of things wrong. Okay. You know? Now, so the book resonated with you. Yes. Did you find that you had done the things in the book to find love again? Did you feel like that? You're like, oh, I did that. I did that. I did. Yeah, there was a lot that I definitely did. And I think I I obviously learned through copious amounts of therapy and reading. Mm-hmm. Um, we, you know, we talk about a lot of these books, attachment and um, stop caring, you know, caretaking for the narcissist, borderline personality dis- disordered person. I think when you read books like that, you start to really learn. I mean, mm-hmm. you, the new you thinks way differently than the old you after what we've been through and the experiences we've had. And you want to come up with a way to to not make the same mistakes and repeat history a third time. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So I'm going to actually, we're going to call her. Okay. We're going to get her on the line. Hello. Hi, Allison. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm good. You're here with uh, Jerome and myself. Hi, Allison. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, thanks for having me. Okay, so we have Allison Jane uh, on with us. She's a seasoned psychotherapist and EFT practitioner. Being a divorcee herself, she co-founded uh, what is the what is the website? Learn to date like a goddess.com. Thank you. I thought I'd remember and I didn't. Um, to help women find healthy relationships, clear all blocks to successful dating, and open to the excitement of falling in love again. Allison lives just outside of Chicago with her two teenage sons. Um, so, Allison, I was just telling Jerome that I got this book from my sister as a Christmas gift. And we were laughing because I opened it in front of my boyfriend, and I was like, um, <laughs> awkward. <laughs> and she's like, no, 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 no. I, I bought this for everybody. And she said she met you, and she's like, I wanted you to read it. 
She's like, because you actually have been successful. So um, I first want to start by asking you what an EFT practitioner is and what the difference between that and EMDR is. Am I saying it right? EMDR? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. You're saying it right. Yeah. So an EFT practice, well, let me just back up and explain. EFT stands for emotional freedom technique, and it is typically called um, EFT tapping or just tapping. And it is a specific technique where you basically combine tapping on your own acupressure points with processing something emotional. And what it does is it sends a calming signal to the fight or flight part of your brain. And so it therefore extinguishes the emotion because our brain can't sort of hold both at the same time. So I say it's sort of like pouring water on a fire, fiery emotion, you know, when you do this tapping mm. and people often ask me, is it, you know, just because you're thinking about it or just because, or could you tap anywhere on your body? And there's been lots and lots of research done to this point. Um, they've done EEGs and, and uh, blood and saliva tests, and you get all these biological calming effects, moving out of fight or flight effects, specifically from these acupressure points that are used in EFT tapping. So what it does is it kind of puts you in an almost, um, almost like a hypnotic state and a very relaxed, calm state known as alpha brainwave, which is a lot of people are familiar with it because of maybe if you meditate or you do yoga, shavasana, you know, that sort of floaty state that you get in, that's alpha brainwave state. Mm -hmm. So when you tap on these points, it puts you in that alpha state. Now, EMDR, which is also a mind-body technique that has come up in popularity and has a lot of great research behind its effectiveness as well, in about the same time frame as EFT, um, that is where typically, it, originally it was actually eye movement, that's the EM, that you would move your eyes back and forth and it would also put you in a similar, you know, alpha brainwave, semi-hypnotic, uh, suggestible state. But it's sort of advanced over time and now typically it's done with people holding buzzers. So they hold buzzers in either hmm. one of their hands and it buzzes alternatively. So it gives this bilateral stimulation to your body and that creates the similar effect that the EFT does. Oh, wow. Interesting. Yeah. Well, it, I will say you definitely explain in the book how to affect, how to effectively do it on yourself. Um, so I thought that was very, I thought that was really interesting. Something very, you not only are you reading your story and your advice, but you're actually learning how to do something. Um, yeah. 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 That was really important to me because, well, for one thing I should say, I actually got trained in EFT over EMDR. I was kind of deciding between the two and somewhat there was a, a synchronistic event that sort of happened that led me to EFT. But also I thought, I like the idea that it's a self-help tool that anyone can use at any time because we all have our fingers, right? I mean, right. in theory, most of us, right? So it's, it's literally a tool you can use at your fingertips. And when I knew I wanted to write this book, I thought to myself, I definitely want to include what's known as a tapping script at the end of every chapter because, you know, you can learn something new and you get new insight, maybe from therapy or coaching or talking to a friend, but you know, so you, look, you figure out, oh, I know now exactly why I do this self-sabotaging thing I do or whatever. 
but then you still can't change it. So what I have found is that through the EFT tapping, you're actually reprogramming your subconscious mind and therefore you're able to implement the changes you learn. So the idea is you learn a lesson, you know, each sort of chapter in my book is basically a lesson, as you know, and then you learn it, but then you tap on it, it really embeds it in your subconscious mind and it clears away any blocks that you might have to it. Like one of the chapters is about um, this sort of this concept, this limiting belief that there's no good men left out there. And if you really believe that, if you really are emotionally attached to that idea, then that is what you're going to see. And so if you do the tapping though, it can clear away that emotional charge that you have to it, which is basically just fear, right? You're just fearful that there's no good men out there. So you're kind of going out there with this fearful attitude and then your brain is just seeing jerk men. And so it's like, oh, there we go. You know, those confirmation bias, right? There we go. I, I was right. But if you can tap on that fear and clear it, then a lot of times you can actually start to see different people in your environment who might've been there all along. Right. Well, well you've, you've kind of manifested that because that yeah. was because of your beliefs. Now, speaking of uh, the subconscious, um, in the book, you talk about how, um, and I, we talked about this in a previous podcast, um, you talk about how Disney movies sort of programmed your subconscious mind to that yep. sound of Like her, your behavior like mimicked that in a way, which is fascinating because obviously I've read this and I'm like, oh my God, I know so many, like we are expected to believe that guys are just jerks until they meet the right woman hopefully, a.k.a. us, and then they change. We change them. Right. and we and will change them, right. <laughs> so can you touch on that a little bit for us? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's a, that is uh, one of my favorite chapters, actually, in the book, too. And so it, it really is talking about how I grew up with this false idea of what it meant to um, – date basically, because I I felt like it meant I had to be chosen, right? Like I always remember the scene where the stepsisters are sort of knocking each other out of the way and trying to get the prince's attention and look look at me, look at me. So it sets up a dynamic of not just that I have to do everything in my power to get chosen by a guy, but also this concept that I have to compete with every other woman out there. You know, and I think it's a really toxic sort of culture that has been created around competition for the scarcity of the one good guy out there kind of thing. And I think I see that a lot. I I saw it when I was younger, too, but I feel like I see it more now um, in terms of women dating at midlife. You know, there's definitely this idea that there's a very scarce amount of men out there and I have to compete with, you know, all the other women. And so I have to be... uh, cuter and smarter and thinner and more accomplished or whatever it might be to be chosen. And what I talk about in the book is that I really realized that this was sort of how I was going out dating was um, really approaching dates like, oh, I hope he picks me, right? I just didn't really think about, we maybe I'm also picking and I need to, you know, I realized like when I went on job interviews, I would show up at a job interview like, yeah, I want you to like me and, and, and want to hire me, but also I'm trying to decide if I want to work here. And I really wasn't approaching dating that way. I was just sort of approaching it like, oh boy, hopefully he's going to like me. And, yes. and then when I realized this, I was like, wow, that's really a problematic approach. 
And it's not very sexy, let's be honest. Like it's not very attractive when you show up in that kind of energy, right? That totally explains my my last marriage. That was so my last (laughs) marriage. Like one day you wake up seven years later and you're like, oh my God, wait a minute. I never chose, I never really chose. I never, I just went along with the program because I was chosen, you know? Yes, yes. So, you know, there's a part in here where you talk about um, relaxing into the journey and um, not being solely focused on the destination. And I know, I mean, a lot of the clients that I work with are, you know, women kind of in post-divorce dating online. And it is like, I will get a phone call from, let's say, a girlfriend or, you know, I see clients when I'm training and it's like, oh my gosh, this guy is so great and he has the best job and he does this and his mother did that and his father this and his cousin. And I'm like, oh my God, this woman's got her dress already picked out for the wedding. And she hasn't even met the guy. It's like, there is already this sort of, we're there, like this, the destination is here. We found the one. We didn't even meet him yet. We mm-hmm. haven't even had a phone conversation and we're already like jumping the gun. And I think that that sets women up for such failure because let's face yeah. it, you know, your expectations are way higher than maybe what you're um, about to walk into in terms of, you know, heading in on a first date. Well, yeah, and you can make yourself look like anything with a, a dating profile. Of course. I mean, you, know? you don't even know if, I'm yeah. like, you don't even know if this guy is the person in the picture. Can we not get ahead of ourselves? <laughs> like, call me after five dates, and then I'm happy to hear about his whole life story. But yeah. so much of the time, and I think a lot of this is that women don't want, and this goes for men too, but like, they don't want to online date. They don't want to go through the rejection phase of dating um, and they're tired. And so they just want to pick somebody and be with that person. And then that way, in their eyes, you know, they found somebody, they're done, and we can move on with life. Until, again, seven years later, <laughs> you wake <laughs> up and you're like, what the hell happened? So, yeah, you yeah, know, absolutely. I really liked that no. part. If you want to, if you want to, um, you know, elaborate on that, feel free. Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, yeah, I, I totally agree with you because women— well, I'm sure men do this too. I, I, I can't really speak to that, I, I guess, but I'm guessing they somewhat can do this as well. You know, you tell yourself a story, right? You create a story in your head about someone. And what happens is it actually creates a lot of suffering. I mean, I think part of what is painful about online dating is the fact that people do create these stories and get their hopes up and get really excited early on. And then when they're let down, it just reinforces the exhaustion and the negative feeling about online dating. Whereas if you can just really go into it with this attitude of, I'm just here to learn. I'm just here to have experiences. Every date I go on, I'm going to learn something about myself out of this date. I think it just really can turn down the pressure that that story, you know, is, is serving the purpose of. And I think that, like you're saying, people... They do just want to be done. They just want to be back in something. And I think a lot of that is also just fear because it's the fear of um, growing old alone. I hear this one a lot. Fear of growing old alone, fear of being alone, fear Mm -hmm. of um, a lot of people can't sit with themselves, you know, just sort of staying home alone on a, a a weekday night even sometimes, but definitely weekends can be very um, painful to people who are 
so used to always needing to distract and always needing to um, be out there doing things because it's just really hard for them to sit with themselves and sit with whatever maybe uncomfortable emotions might be going on in themselves. So I also think that finding a guy and just being in a relationship really quick serves that purpose as well to please help save me from me because I don't want to sit here with myself. Mm. Well, yeah, I think that's, I think that's the the thing, you know, if you're, if you're alone and it's like, Oh my God, I'm here with myself. <laughs> and, right. and I think in a, in a lot of cases, that is the thing that people actually need to do. You need to, you know, yes. figure out who you are, what you want, have to figure out how to love yourself you know, and give, and, and I, th- I think a lot of times people are looking for other people to give them what they should be giving themselves, you know, Absolutely. and, and if you, if you are, I mean, I don't know, I have a thing, you know, that I say that if you, um, if you're just looking for somebody, then you can end up with anybody, mm. you know, and so. <laughs> Ooh, a Jeromeism. We need another, that on a t-shirt. Another, another t-shirt. <laughs> I'll put that on another t-shirt. I love it. <laughs> yeah, and I think that. What hap- I mean, the ultimate paradox, if you ask me about sort of mental health and wellness, is that you do have to accept where you are before you can change. Mm. And, and you have to feel all the feelings and you have to experience them. I mean, you know, I'm sure you guys have heard the saying, like, what we resist, uh, what, we, what we resist persists. Mm-hmm. And so it's just like, if you're trying to avoid these feelings, they're actually sometimes just going to get bigger. It's almost like, you know, when you were a little kid and you were afraid there was a monster in the closet, so you wouldn't look and you wouldn't look. But if you just got up and turned on the light and looked in there, <laughs> you'd be like, oh, okay, oh, it's, yeah, it's I over. feel better. <laughs> but instead, you like lay in bed paralyzed with fear forever. And I, I think that that is kind of what can happen to people. It's like, I just don't want to sit with myself. I don't want to feel these feelings. And so they go about and do all these things, a lot of self-sabotaging things or sometimes addictive things to try to avoid those feelings where if you just can sit with them and work through them, you're going to feel so much better, so much faster. And Mm. this is where I feel like EFT tapping is magic. It's gold because I mean, it's difficult to sit with bad feelings. I'm not saying it's easy, you know, nobody wants to do it and it's not fun. But if you tap while you're sitting with those bad feelings, they go away a lot faster. Mm. I always tell my clients, like, every emotion, think of it like an ocean wave. There's no one emotion that's going to last forever. It all comes, it crests, it builds, it crests, and then it eventually goes away. But Mm -hmm. when you apply EFT tapping while you're doing it, it's going to make it go away. The wave isn't going to go nearly as high, and it's going to go away much more quickly, and you're going to feel better. There's like this really amazing feeling that happens when you're um, tapping it, especially if you're like in a very intense emotional state while you're tapping, like you're crying maybe, or you're like raging a little bit, just like, hey, I hate this thing, you know, whatever it is you want to work through. Um, that all of a sudden, it feels like the emotion like evaporates out of my body. It's the coolest feeling. Like it just dries up and it is gone. And when it is gone, it is really gone. And the coolest thing is that the theory they have right now is that you're actually uh, sort of pruning one neural pathway and creating another and when you do that, you almost can't even remember um, the event in the same way or the problem in the same way because you've literally just gotten rid of that neural pathway and now you have a new one. And when I use EFT tapping on 
you know, particularly like bad memories, like negative memories or, or traumas or things like that. But like in the context of dating, let's say, okay, you got your heart broken by this guy. Let's tap on that heartbreak because you have not been letting yourself sit in it. You have not grieved it. You haven't been feeling it. You've been doing everything and just trying to move on and find the next guy so that you don't have to feel the pain and the hurt that you experienced in that last relationship. Let's tap on it. Let's clear out that pain. And so many times people will say at the end, like, wow, this doesn't even feel like my story anymore. It feels like someone else's story. So you still remember it. I mean, you remember that the events that happened, but you don't have the physiological um, and emotional reaction to it anymore. Like thinking about it doesn't, you know, make your body tense up or get you sweaty palms or whatever. You just can think about it and have no emotion because it actually moves the memory from the fight or flight from the amygdala part of our brain to the frontal lobe. And so it just becomes stored as like this long-term memory that no longer has any activating qualities to it. And that's the freedom of the emotional freedom technique. Cause it's really, it's like, it's a profound um, sense of freedom that you get when you release some of these really old, uh, especially like childhood wounding kinds of things. It's, it's really amazing. Now, now after you release those, um, the, the emotion behind those memories, do you um, suggest that people just forget about them or should you, should you sort of revisit those things to see what you can then learn from the experience without the emotion? So it's interesting. You don't forget. It just feels like almost like, like someone else's story. You know, it just feels like, okay, that's a thing that happened to me, but you just don't have that same, you know, you don't have any kind of reaction to it anymore. And so it's just like, almost like an unimportant memory, you know, or, or just something that just like, okay, that happened. But the cool part that actually happens as a result is you don't need to go back or revisit or anything. I mean, let me back up and say that we do think about problems in EFT like a tabletop. So think about the problem at the top of the table and what are the legs that keep that problem in place. So let's say, um, it's a really common one, that women keep um, dating unavailable, emotionally unavailable men. So we would call that the, the tabletop problem. And then we, we're going to look at what are the pieces of your history that have maybe made those kind of men attractive to you. You know, maybe your dad was, you know, sort of hot and cold to you as a kid. And so emotional unavailability, you, your brain equates that with love. So you meet a guy who's like that and you feel that you are in love with him. But what really is happening is that your brain is getting triggered by this familiar unavailable pattern that makes you then feel love. So if we then start to kind of, you know, uh, get a game plan around, okay, let's think of some key childhood memories where, you know, you experience your dad as either hot and cold or emotionally unavailable or whatever. And then we tap on one at a time until the problem clears out. And the coolest part is when you've tapped on enough, you will know it because your brain does this fascinating thing. We have a part in our brain that I talk about in the book called the reticular activating system. And it is the part of your brain that is responsible for seeing and identifying patterns. And so the example I often give is like, if you decide to buy a new car, let's say you're going to, you decide I'm going to buy a Tesla and then all of a sudden you see Teslas everywhere, Mm -hmm. right? We've all kind of had an experience like that. Mm -hmm. And you're like, I never noticed all those Teslas before. Were they always here? Well, they were always there. (laughs) They just magically appeared, but your brain wasn't looking for them. 
And so when you clear out, let's say, an old pattern like this of um, love, emotional unavailability, uh, emotional unavailability equals love in my brain. When you clear that out and it no longer does, your brain will stop looking for emotional unavailable guys. That particular activating system will kick in and you just won't look for that anymore. So suddenly you're going to start to see new guys that you never saw before. And I tell a story in my book about a client who lived in a high rise building and for eight years, she was in this building and oh, I love she was this single part. the I like whole this. time and she was dating around and dating a lot of jerk guys. And then she, you know, did, she did a lot of work on herself. She definitely did a lot of tapping and a lot of other things and just really um, worked on changing her self-sabotage and all those things. And one day she sees this guy in her elevator and she's like, oh, he's cute. Like, who's he? And so they start talking, they start dating. He's the nicest guy. He treats her like an absolute queen and um, they fall in love, get married and all this stuff. And he says to her at some point in their dating, he says, you know, for eight years, I've been seeing you on that elevator Mm. (laughs) and I always had a crush on you and you just never noticed me before. And when I tell you guys, this guy is a handsome man, like I've seen pictures, he's a handsome man. So the fact that her brain was not seeing this very handsome man who was interested in her for eight years, it really speaks to the power of our particular activating system and the power of our subconscious programs that we might not even know are in there that are leading us to make the choices that we make. And so with the um, reticular activating system, when you say, for example, this person clears out the um, the attraction to unavailable, emotionally unavailable men, does she then have to replace it with something or does it autom- will she automatically see better men just because she's removed the, uh, the, I don't know, the desire for the wrong ones? Right. Yeah. That's exactly what happens. Yeah. It automatically happens. It's the, it's the coolest thing. <laughs> and I've seen it so many times, but it's really amazing. And I, I kind of, um, I draw an analogy with that to help people understand of, of like the use of a gratitude journal. You know, it's like if you are, are writing a gratitude journal and you're, maybe you're in a dark place, you're kind of feeling bitter and resentful about things in your life and you've heard, oh, write a gratitude journal, help. So you start writing it and like every day you write three, three things you're grateful for. But if you're not feeling grateful, if you're still feeling bitterness and resentment, then it, it can take a really long time, if ever, for a gratitude journal to work. And then sometimes people get frustrated and they even quit that practice, right? But if you clear the stuff that you're feeling bitter and resentful about, gratitude naturally bubbles up. We, we naturally feel grateful for things in our life because gratitude is a natural state for us as humans when we clear anything standing in the way of feeling grateful. You know, we naturally can feel a lot of love when we clear old hurt and wounds and pain around feeling loved. And so it's just our natural state. So your natural state is actually to want to date someone who treats you well. But if you have these subconscious programs that are telling you for whatever reason, it is either not safe to date someone who treats you well, or it is um, safe for to date someone who doesn't treat you well, then that's what's going to happen. But when you clear out those patterns, then it's just like 
sky's the limit. You can, you know, you can suddenly see and suddenly feel more comfortable in intimacy with someone who's treating you well. I mean, if you have any sort of reactions like um, being loved feels painful, and I think a lot of people have this, um, and it's not super talked about, but if, if you're feeling unlovable and then someone tries to love you, that can actually be painful at a subconscious level. And so you're going to push that away. Mm. But yes. if you clear out that pain, then you're able to receive that loving attention from the person and you're able to feel it and experience it because that's our natural state is to want to be loved. So, you know, you there's a part in the book where it's funny. We talk, obviously, about um, red flags and, you know, not making excuses for the people that you maybe start a relationship with. And you touch on that in the book right in the beginning. You say, remember when dating, that small issues early in the relationship are like a pebble in your shoe. It doesn't feel like much of a problem at first, but 10 years in, it will feel like a boulder. Uh, And boy, (laughs) we were just talking about how that rings true. Um, And this is really what a lot of our podcast is based on when we talk about quote unquote toxic relationships. Um, Tell us why you think, why do you think women specifically always make excuses for these little things that they find and they know subconsciously are, are red flags. Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? And do you find this, I find this the most interesting is how women can identify it when their friends are doing it. They'll say, oh, <laughs> right? <laughs> so they can see it in other people, but they can't see it in themselves. And I think it, it, it comes back to what, what are those subconscious programs that is causing you or what are the what is the underlying emotional issue that is causing you to make that excuse I think the biggest one I see particularly with midlife women is just fear fear of being alone Mm -hmm. um maybe there's you know financial fears uh you know there's some financial insecurity that that you know would be easier to be partnered with that or just um I don't want to grow old without someone by my side um, or I've always been in a relationship and I, I, I'm afraid to live on my own. I'm afraid of the noises in the night, you know, in my apartment or whatever. So I think if you have fear like that and it's a very intense fear, it's going to feel safer to your subconscious to be in a relationship than to be alone. And so you might know at a certain level, like this guy is not good for me and he it is, you know, these things are not good, but I'm going to stay in this relationship anyway, because it's better than the alternative of being alone. I think a lot of women also struggle with the perception of being alone, showing up to a party without somebody, sitting at dinner by alone, by yourself, going to a bar and having a drink alone. And I think sometimes women are worried about other women judging them because they are alone. And so it it elevates your sort of status, so to speak, that somebody wants you, that somebody, no matter what who they are, even if they're not the right, you know, person for you and you know that, it it gives you that elevated sort of status that somebody wants you, somebody loves you. Absolutely. And that goes back to, you know, what you were saying earlier, Jerome, about needing to love yourself more because if you, if that's the, you know, sort of carrot on the stick for you is, okay, well, this proves to the world that I am lovable, then, that, then mm-hmm. that's pretty obvious evidence that you're not feeling like you love yourself. You're not actually feeling lovable. Right. 
And so it's ironic, right? Because when you don't feel lovable, you actually tend to attract in someone who is not going to love you very much. Exactly. Now, a, yeah. a few minutes ago, uh, uh, Allison, you said uh, we were talking about projecting things onto people or creating a story. And, and you said, I don't know if guys do this, but, you mm-hmm. know, as I'm, you know, as I was reading through the book, um, <clears throat> you know, I think you could probably, I don't know if you want to do this, but you could probably just write <laughs> another book and say, <laughs> learn to date like a God, because a lot of the things, <laughs> a, a lot of the things I think just, you know, apply to, um, you know, people looking to be in a relationship and it's not, um, and it's, I don't know, it's more human behavior than, um, than women versus men. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Although you do touch on the, the masculine versus feminine, um, sort of, uh, you know, energy Energy that, um, men and women hold. And I've read actually a lot of books on, you know, and it's on women trying to be, more feminine rather than holding that masculine sort of, you know, energy. And I know a lot of women, a lot of my friends are very much that masculine energy. Um, we, we tend to gear toward that because we're independent, because we are, some of us are entrepreneurs. Um, some of us just had to do that from childhood. So I can totally relate to that. Um, but I have learned in relationships that I can't do that because then you end up doing everything and you end up looking at the person that you're with saying, well, what, like, what good are you, you know? Yeah. But you kind of yeah. create that because but yeah, you. Yeah, because, because at the beginning you did all did that stuff all. and you set yes. an expectation that that was going to be yep. your yes. I think role in the relationship. Yes. So explain masculine and fem- feminine energy and how it relates to a relationship. Yeah. So this was um, actually, it was a chapter I, I struggled a little bit to write because I knew it was very important, but I also didn't want it to be taken the wrong way. You know, and it, 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 I didn't want it just to be sound like some kind of anti-women's lib kind of mm-hmm. um, talk. And it, it's, a, it's a little bit of a delicate um, conversation to have. And I even when I was just sort of like uh, pitching it to friends while I was in the writing process, you know, I had some some people have some pretty big reactions to it. And so I think that the, the way that I explain it is that the feminine energy is about receptivity, right? It's about receiving, it's about being in flow and, and being sort of, I don't know, like just sort of juicy and go with the flow and not controlling and not do, 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 go, go, go. Mm-hmm. And it's a little bit more um, sort of like the difference between yin and yang for, you know, the yogis and whatnot out there. But so it's just that more that yin, that quieter, um, receptive, relaxed energy, whereas masculine energy is, you know, the productive energy, the go, 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 the um, do, create, build kind of energy. And in heterosexual relationships, it is important to strike a balance there that works for you as a couple. And, you know, it is possible that a man could be more in his feminine more of the time and a woman more in her masculine more of the time and that that could work. I know some relationships that that works, but I think that's atypical. I think more often when a woman in a heterosexual relationship can be more in her feminine, what she's going to experience is rest. 
<laughs> and relaxation. <laughs> and that's going to feel really good to her. And men, by and large, actually want to be in the masculine and step up to the plate, especially like a good man. I always say, I always have the caveat, like, you know, if it's not a good man, he might not do this, but you know, the kind of man you would want to be in a relationship with is going to want to kind of be your hero, right? Like step up and do mm. things for you. I had a, a friend actually, um, who is the one that introduced me to your sister who said that her, um, her partner at one point said to her, Hey, I feel like you don't need me at all. <laughs> I feel like there's sort of like no room for me. Like you got that, like you got everything. And so where am I? And so I think that that's the, the thing that women have to think about sometimes is wait a minute. I have been doing all the heavy lifting. I've sort of been doing all the masculine energy stuff in every aspect. I'm not giving him any room or space to step up and I'm tired <laughs> and, and, or I'm resentful. Right. And so if you're feeling that way, then you have to really say, okay, I need to step back and look at this. And how can I be more in my feminine? And I think like, it's super important. actually, this is super important, actually, but just even in general, can I step back? So what's the problem with stepping back for most women? What well, means letting go of control mm-hmm. and they think they have to, you know, it's like, I have all the, I'm juggling all these balls in the air. And if I drop one, It's all going to come crashing down. So I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can be in my feminine and, and just receive and let him do some things. And, you know, he's gonna maybe not do it exactly perfectly the way you would want, (laughs) but if you can start to allow that space for you to kind of step back, let go of the reins on certain things watch him step up, see how he does it. I mean, if you're dating, you definitely want to do this early on and see, is he going to step up? And if you're already in relationship, I still think it's a really good practice to try to work on to let go. And I don't want to ever make it sound like I'm saying you need to be a doormat and just let your man like control you and do everything. Because actually being a doormat, I think is very masculine energy too. Mm -hmm. Because most doormat women are sort of like, doing a lot for their guy they're cooking for them and they're cleaning for them and they're going out and buying their favorite things and they're do 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 to try to make the man happy so that's not what I'm talking about at all what I'm talking about is just allowing your partner to do things for you to please you and being grateful and appreciative of them and not always feeling immediately like, oh, I, it's a quick pro quo. Now I have to do something back. I mean, a lot of guys just like doing for women. I mean, you, you can speak to this more than I can, Jerome, but like a lot of guys like to do for their women and oh, absolutely. they don't want anything in return. They just, they just want a happy woman, right? Happy wife, happy life. Exactly. They just yeah. want. <laughs> a good man is not keeping a scorecard. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And like I talk about it in the book in terms of in the bedroom for sure, because, you know, if you're in your head thinking, oh, okay, he's doing this for me and this feels great, but now I've got to, you know, do something for him, then you're not enjoying it and you're not in your body and you're just like in your mind and you're not actually receiving A, the full amount of pleasure you could be, but B, you are so preoccupied by what I have to do next guys can read that guys know that and that's it's kind of like a lose-lose I mean if you're not having that much fun because you're worried about what you're going to do to make him happy and he's not happy because he can tell something's off because you're 
quite enjoying it the way he would think or the way he wants, <laughs> then, you know, it's just sort of a, a, a negative all around. But if you can just really get into your feminine and just receive and feel pleasure, I talk about sort of the idea of using mindfulness in that situation, just like literally feel your guy running his hand up and down your arm and just do, don't think of the grocery list or the what you need to do or what's going to happen next or does he like my body? Like get all the stuff to completely out of your head and just get in your body and just feel the feeling and really receive that's being deeply in your feminine and it's awesome <laughs> and then you will have so much more pleasure and so will the guy absolutely i mean if you're you know if you're in your head like you, i think and, and the connection isn't there right because you're not completely yeah. in the moment you're not in you're not engaged you're not you know fully connected yeah exactly wow we really touched on the whole book, I think. Yeah. <laughs> that was so great. Um, okay, Allison, where can people find you? I know you're, you're, you live just outside of Chicago. Do you have an office somewhere um, that you practice, or where can people find you? So I actually see all my clients online right now, and I have a group program for women. It's a Learn to Date Like a Goddess program. So you can find me at learntodatelikeagoddess.com. And also, I actually want to offer a special uh, reward to your listeners that anybody listening to this podcast can go to learntodatelikeagoddess.com and download a free copy of my ebook and read about it and start to gear up your goddess dating skills. Thank you for offering that. I I really enjoyed reading this book. I know I, I know so many people that I'm like, you have to read this. You have to read this. This is for you. So thank you for um, being a guest on our podcast. And um, we will let you know when it's up and ready to air. And uh, we'll shoot you a text. And hopefully you can share it with your um, listeners and your you know followers. And we'll do the same. Yep. Okay, absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you guys so much. Thank you so much for doing this. I hope you have a great Sunday. Okay, thanks. All right. You guys too. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That was really good. Yeah. That was, I really liked that. That was, yeah, that was good one. Yeah. I mean, I know it's geared toward women, but, you know, Geo the <laughs> Dater took over the, the the masculine online dating sort of I, realm and um, told know, us all about his I mean, woes. I, I really think a lot of these things apply to men as well. I think you're right. I totally think you're right. I mean, no man wants to be alone either. So yeah. no man wants to feel like, I mean, let's face it, you are proof um that you, you and I are very similar in that we have chose people who we wanted to care we needed to caretake or felt like we needed to caretake mm-hmm. and made excuses for pebbles in our shoe and you know like our our journey has isn't very different just because you're a guy and I'm a woman right yeah exactly so I think if you are I do think she should write a book for for guys but it wouldn't kill you if you're a guy to read this book because it does actually relate. And you know what? You get into the psyche of women and you get to kind of learn about what women, especially she's right in her, you know, sort of in your midlife dating arena, what yeah. they are thinking and the way that yeah. they're feeling and why they act the way they act. And, and don't use it to, you know, to take advantage of, of no, where women are, no, no, but no. just to see what the other, you know, see what the other side is, is experiencing. Yeah. That was great. And, and maybe how not to be an asshole, you know? Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to, I need to write down all the ways to tap because when I was reading, I, I'm not good at reading and then retaining 
information on how to do things. I need okay. to write it down. I'm going to, I really am going to learn how to tap just for different reasons. Yeah. So I'll get back no. to you. I'm going to okay. let you know. I'm going to really try this. Okay. I, I used to do, um, Amanda Young, who we talked up to and interviewed, used to do something called the magic box. And you would sit there and you would magic box. You'd like pretend there's a box and you would like. Now it looks keep, like you're playing an accordion. It's kind that? of what, like you keep, you keep feeling this box and you have to keep talking about the, this problem that you have. Like, um, I don't feel loved. And you kind of magic box it and you say, you know, okay, so I don't feel loved and I never feel loved. And, you know, what if I felt loved? And you kind of go through this whole thing. And by the time you're done and you just keep doing it and then your hands tend to get like come together because the, you've said it so many times mm -hmm. that you're like, okay, and so what? Like, what's the worst? Then you start to think in your head, what's the worst thing that happens to me if I'm not loved, you know? Yeah. And then you start, the problem doesn't seem as big, so to speak. So I think there's something to be said about focusing in on something. And there are different methods that do it different ways. But it really does make a, a huge difference. I really am interested in trying EFT, though. We should do this. We're going to do it. And then, and then do an episode on, on our findings. Afterward. Okay. 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 Let's do that. All right. All right. Part two. Part two. <laughs> All right. Um, so I think that's, that's it for this yeah. episode. All right, so for Too Fit to be Tied, I'm Jerome. I'm Constance. And we'll see you next time. Bye.